0: topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I'm in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. So glad to be here. Man, are we glad to be here. It is good to be here in the house of the Lord. We're here at the church in our little studio in the office, and man, it is just a pleasure to be here. And you know what? I'm so excited. I know you guys may already know this, but you may not, that we're going to have our first live local service on May 30th. That's right. This coming Shabbat, we're going to be
1: together. Since March 21st. Wow, man. That's over two months.
0: Yeah. It sure is, and so we're very excited about that. Obviously, there's going to be some uh, some protocol and some uh, measures, yes, yeah, some guidelines and some measures that we're taking to make sure that everyone is safe and comfortable. And so, uh, you know, just be ready for that when you come. But uh, other than that, I mean, I think it's going to be just great to be together, and it's going to be our Shavuot celebration service, no less. That's right, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And so, what we all need is a little bit more of the holy spirit what we all need is an indwelling and infilling of the holy spirit and so if that's what you're looking for then i think that you should come on may 30th this shabbat and be with us and get filled with the holy spirit come with great expectations bring your anointing bring uh your your you know prayers bring your family and come and uh, and worship the most high with us amen awesome Yeah. so today we are studying The Torah portion, Naso, which is take. And this is uh, found in the book of Numbers, chapter 4, starting in verse 21, and ending in chapter 7 and
1: verse 89. Wow, this is so exciting. Once again, I just want to reiterate to all of you that are listening, this incredible, powerful book of Numbers. Once again, we lay out the priesthood in the book of Leviticus. And uh, we, of course, uh, we find out that it's broken up into two parts. Uh, Leviticus chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. Chapters 18 and 27 is the walk with God. And now we get to do it. And we can see where there's a lot of incredible stories here of even failure or missing, missing the point, missing God. Uh, but the book of Numbers is broken up into three sections or three parts. We have, of course, uh, chapters 1 through 9 is at Sinai. This is the preparation for the journey. This took place within a few weeks, and of course, we look at Mount Sinai. Once again, preparation for the journey. This, this time frame was a few weeks. Chapters one through nine. Uh, the second part of the book is chapter ten through chapter twenty-one, and this is to Moab. This is the actual journey, the journey. That's right. Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Hold on. Believe. To this took place wow, thirty-nine years. About thirty-nine years. And then we go into the third and final phase of entering the promised land in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 36. What an incredible book. This is at Moab, at the gate to the land. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Now, what's the time frame? Just a few months, Ryan. Just a few months at the gate to the land and at Baal Peor, they blew it. There was terrible sexual immorality and idolatry. Boy, don't we have to watch out for that today, amen? Boy, do we. Uh, three key words found in the book of Numbers, Service, War, and Wilderness. Boy, that sounds like a, a battle. Service, war, and wilderness. And We just want to thank all of you that served in the armed forces, because yesterday was Memorial Day. Okay? So when you serve uh, in the military, we want to thank you for serving And we want to thank those who gave their life for this country to have the freedom that we have to be Christians with Torah. Uh, At the beginning of the journey, there were 603,550 of one generation. At the end of the book, we have 601,730 of another generation. For some reason, the numbers have decreased. So with that, we're going to jump right into Nassau. And we're going to be looking at the work of the Gershonites and the Merorites once again, uh, these three branches of the priesthood were scattered around the tribes. That's right, in each encampment. And the age group for those Levites who could serve in the tabernacle was, of course, 30 to 50. We brought out uh, last week, Yeshua was 30 when he began his ministry. And uh, that's important to know. And you can find that in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. But we also know from last week that the age for the priesthood was dropped. Uh, to age of 25 in Numbers 8, uh, 24 through 25. That'll be coming up later. And then, of course, at the age of 20, the age uh, was established by King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verses 24 and 25. So we ask ourselves, why would it go from 30 to 20? A good explanation would be simply that they were needed. Priests were needed to serve the people. Uh, Here at our church, we have like at the age of 12 and up, you can do these things as a young person. But we have discovered that there are some youth and children that are even 10 or 11 that are mature enough to do the job. And so even our child care and our media department, we are doing all of that. Now, the uh, the Gershonites were in charge of the curtains covering uh, and the badger skins of the tabernacle. That's what they were in charge of, the Gershonites, the curtains uh, covering. And badger skins of the tabernacle. Uh, once again, every every um, bit of the Levites had had job description and responsibilities. You know what's
0: interesting about the Gershonites, which was cool, and we kind of we kind of alluded to this last night. But I was, you know, I've been trying to figure out how do we pair different people together, right? Um, and and how do we make sense of some of the symbolic ways that God placed the tribes where they placed them and placed this the different. Um, you know, descendants of the of Levi, where he placed them, and so uh, the Gershonites were on the side with Rachel's children, which is uh, Joseph and Benjamin. So, Ephraim, Manasseh. That's and Benjamin. right. And you know, Joseph um, wore what a coat of many colors. And what did the Gershonites in charge of? They're in charge of tap tapestries. tapestries of yeah. many colors, right? That's good. So they're in charge of that, and then also uh, you have the tapestries. You know, we obviously connect with the tapestry. We've got these big banners for the tribes here in our sanctuary. We have people here that a are just standard, yeah. Very uh, talented with tapestry work in our congregation. And then you, when, when you have that, and then you pair it with this, and you're like, well, wait a second, this is on the side where Phineas and Manasseh to the west. All right, right to the west.
1: That's interesting. Go west, young man.
0: And then not to make matters even more, right, you know, deeper, because what's cool is you can take these things, and and the Lord always puts things in layers, right? There's multiple meanings to things. You can get multiple things out of it. That's right. And so it's not just this one thing. God is multifaceted, and he just makes it all work in such a cool way. Well, Gershon, which is uh, the name of, you know, um, one of Moses' sons, right, the Gershonites, Um, they have Gershon and then the Gershon, right, Two different groups, but it, it has to do with exile, right? That I was exiled, and that's the reason that he names that son um, that in the first place. Well, the Gershonites, the name meaning exile or strangers or scattered, um, is interesting that it's on the west side, which is where Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin are, and Ephraim and Manasseh are, you know, Ephraim being the the northern kingdom ends up being what? Ends up being scattered all throughout the earth. So, we're seeing wandering
1: God's among the nations,
0: wandering among the nations, the fullness of the Gentiles, so to speak. So it's just very interesting to see how many layers God puts in these things, and how much you can see it when you go back and you read the scriptures. Like once you're cued into certain, you know, truths of Scripture, and you want to know, hey, where's the second witness? Where's the third witness? Where's the fourth witness? You get all these extra witnesses to confirm
1: what right. what God is doing. Is this is just another cool little little thing? It's awesome. And of course, we have the Merarites. They were responsible for the boards, bars, pillars, sockets, etc. We would say the hardware, uh, the Merari, the Merarites, and they were camped out with Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. Mm-hmm. Dan, uh, Asher, and Naphtali on the north side. So the west side: uh, Gershon and uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin, Benjamin, and then of course Merari. And of course, here are the following numbers given for each of the families among the Levites: ages thirty. To 50, once again, the law of first mention. Priesthood started out at 30, ended up at 20. With Even with King David, he lowered the age to 20 in First Chronicles 23, verses 24 and 25. I know I already shared that. Also, King David broke up the priesthood into 24 divisions, which is very interesting in serving. And of course, they would all serve during the major feast days, but then they had their different divisions. And that's how you can come to find uh, even the birth of Yeshua or John the Baptist is because his father was lighting incense and it gives the order of when he served but that's another story for another time uh and then of course you know you have here uh Kohath had 2750 Gershon had 2630 Merari 3200 now get this picture the priests were scattered around the tabernacle among the tribes to help them to teach them the Torah to serve them yeah to handle the matters at hand at heart they were the first dermatologists yeah You know, and and, and I'm sharing this with with great inspiration because I believe the clergy is going to make a comeback. You know, the scriptures say that God will will appoint pastors after his own heart in the last days, Uh, even among those that are in the diaspora, even those that are scattered among uh, the nations, those that are grafted in. It even says that one of the prophecies was that Levi would be scattered among Israel. So wherever Israel is, you're going to find some Levites. And so we have the numbers here for those priests. And now we're going to jump right into Numbers chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And Ryan is going to read that. And uh, this is going to be in regards to unclean people.
0: Right. And it says here, uh, starting chapter 5, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper and every one that hath an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead. Both male and female shall ye put out, without the camp shall ye put them, and that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. And the children of Israel did so, and put them out without the camp. As the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speaking unto the children of Israel, When a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to do a trespass against the Lord, and that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin, which they have done, and he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof, and add unto it the fifth part thereof, and give it unto him against whom he hath trespassed. But if the man have no kinsmen to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord, even to the priest, beside the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. And every man's hallowed things
1: shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. So the question is, Ryan, what three types of people are to be put outside the camp? The answer is... Yeah, lepers. The lepers. People with an issue. Everyone that has an issue. Yep. Oh, I got issues. (laughs) Don't we all? Whoever is defiled by the dead, they are to to be put outside the camp. You know, what's interesting about this particular portion of, of scripture or instruction is the fact that we can have a discussion is it possible that a person could be outside the camp today even though they think they are in the camp so it's like a lot of people have this ideology or they're believing but are they doing right you know are you scattering or are you gathering you know uh, you could talk to a lot of people in the in the hebrew roots of the of the christian faith in this movement and they've, got, they've got, the, they got the phrases down, the words down, the Shabbat Shalom. But are you really doing what you're supposed to be doing? Well, you and know, that, are you with other people? Are you making a difference? I like what you said, Ryan. You know, what are you doing?
0: Yeah, well, who are you and what are you supposed to be doing? And are you doing it? So what, what's funny is, as you mentioned that, um, within the Hebrew roots, I think what happens is the, they, you always hear people say, hey, I'm, different people come and they're on different levels. You know, And they're on different stages in their walk. And ultimately, um, I think that within the Hebrew roots, uh, we have to check ourselves to make sure that we're not doing the, the letter of the commandment without the spirit of the commandment, right? But on the same token, uh, global Christianity needs to make sure that they're not really presenting a false gospel, right? Um, the gospel void of the son of David is not the gospel. The gospel void of Jerusalem and the kingdom is not the gospel, right? Because the gospel is the gospel of the what? of the kingdom. That's good. Right? So there's a lot of things where people will identify themselves as a Christian, but then they will not identify themselves as being in covenant, right? Or in in covenant with God, with Yahweh, and not identify themselves as being part of the commonwealth of Israel. Well, guess what? If you don't claim to be part of the commonwealth of Israel, or worse, if you claim not to be part of the commonwealth of Israel, guess what? You're not in the camp. You've put yourself out the out of the camp by default, and yet somehow you think that you've got some system of religion that you're doing and some relationship with God, but if you're not moving your way towards the tabernacle, and if you're not moving your way towards the temple, you're not moving your way towards God. It you just know, Ryan, that's
1: a good point, and I want to encourage all of you that every one of us is given a measure of faith, and we practice our faith, you know, and we have the modern church today that meets on Sunday, and of course we have, you know, we call it churchianity. Right. But, but what I want to submit to you Is that, you know, who are we to judge people's faith? Who are we to judge what people believe? Because here's the ultimate goal, everyone. Once you discover these promises, you attain to the promises. You move towards the promises. And see, obedience is greater than the promise. Oh, yeah. So we have these promises, but are we really obedient in obtaining those promises you know, that God has given. I want to give you, you guys an example here real quick, Ryan. In Romans, go ahead, you can share a thought. Well, you know what
0: cause... we haven't said in a while that is just a good a good catchphrase that you should hang on to What's like that? when in doubt you can fall back on this. Obedience brings the blessing. Oh, ain't that the truth? What brings the blessing? Obedience brings the blessing. That's why is it that God says he prefers obedience over sacrifice? You know, there's so many things that we look at when we're just, you know, a baby Christian and we're coming into faith in Yeshua and and we're learning all of these great things. We're coming to the knowledge of salvation, right? But obedience is then to what? <laughs> To the covenant, right? To the covenant. All these things you say we shall do, right? That's the covenant. Obedience to Yeshua, to his words. That's good.
1: Well, in Romans 9, 8, it says, That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. That word promise is epigelia in the Greek. It means a divine assurance of good. Mm-hmm. So when people look at you, Ryan, they say, Well, gosh, Ryan, you're doing this and this and this. And you're saying, Well, that's what I believe. That's my faith. You know, when Ryan says, Hey, I would love to live in the land of Israel, he knows the promise. That's right. Now, it doesn't mean that we've got it all figured out, mm-hmm. but literally, for those of you that are listening that are Christians, if God promised you land because you're grafted in, cuz you're the seed of Abraham, that was the first thing he gave Abraham, why are we as Christians focusing on Zion or even Jerusalem or even the future temple? Why should we be concerned? Because it's part of the promise. Yeah. You know, and you have to live somewhere, you know. And that's what I like to say to all of you that are listening, you know, don't try to figure it out, but are are you attaining to the promises? Do you know the promises? You know, and so, yeah, not everybody wants to live in Israel. Nobody would want to move over there just to move over there. But what I'd like to submit to you is that, you know, the land is a part of the promise. So we're going to we're going to move on here because we've got so much to study. There's some great things in this particular uh, Torah portion that we need to reflect upon. We're going to jump right into, uh, of course, I guess we could just look at this one. If you committed a trespass, what else did you have to pay back beside the principal amount, Ryan? It's going to be one fifth or 20%. So you just add a 20% on top of whatever you owe back. Just to give you a little example, if I trespass Ryan, let's say he let me borrow a book. Here, you can read this book, but make sure I get it back. And I spill coffee all over it. Ooh. So I like the smell I, of coffee. I have though. to uh, give him the same book back plus 20%. So definitely recommend Amazon Prime. And those cheap prices.
0: Yeah, you could just get me the hardback version if I gave you the softback. So just
1: think about it. Well, you not only give that back in a restitution, but you also give one-fifth back. So let's say the book cost me, um, you know, 20 bucks, right? So I give $5 out of that. Right. Plus the book because it's one-fifth. Yeah, $24. 20%. So just something – I know, I just shared something with all of you that you can do. It's mind-boggling. I know it's not being taught. But it needs to be caught. You yeah. know what I'm saying? It, it just needs to be caught right now. Let's go into Numbers chapter 5, verses 11 through 31. This is called the law of jealousy. And Ryan and I are going to look at this because this is a very interesting situation between a husband and a wife. And the question is uh, Did a man have the right to bring his wife before the priest if the man had the spirit of jealousy? Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. You know, God is jealous over us or zealous over us, you know. Uh, The offering needed for a married woman accused of being unfaithful was a tenth part of an ephah of barley meal. Numbers 5.15. Uh, And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle, the priest shall take and put it into the water. Interesting, you know. And to the dust we shall return. So he's actually picking up people. He's taking a handful of people, a handful of a being, of dust, because we're made from the dust of the earth, to the dust we shall return. God breathed into man, and he became a living soul. Now the woman had to make an oath to the priest before drinking the water you know, of this accusation. So here's the situation. There's a spirit of jealousy. The husband wants to settle this, and where does he go? He goes to the priest. And he goes to the priest, and this process is played out. And what two things would happen to the woman if she were guilty? In Numbers chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, and in verse 27, her thigh would rot and her belly would swell is the outcome. Okay. But in Numbers 5, 28, And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So if she lied, basically what it's saying is that she would be unable to bear children. You know, that brings me back to, the, to the, one of the great judges. And I don't know the full story or the name of the judge, but his, he made a vow that anybody that would come out of his house, he would offer up to the Lord, you know. It was his daughter. And it was yeah. his daughter. Yeah. And so some people think that he offered up his daughter as a human sacrifice. No, she went out and enjoyed the maidens for a season and for a time. And what happened is she remained single, celibate, for the rest of her life mm. because she was offered up unto the Lord. Mm. So, so sometimes we, we, we look at it, you know, in, in the culture and everything, and that's, that's something that's actually played out. Uh, so just keep that in mind in, in the spirit of jealousy. Um, if the woman was guilty, okay, if she was guilty, she would not be able to bear children. But if she was innocent, she would be able to conceive seed. Yeah. Any and thoughts would, on
0: that, Ryan? Well, and it says that she would be free, which um, I believe is uh, a giving her a grounds for a divorce um, at that point. Now, I, I'm not a, a rabbi. Get. But right, that she would be able to then be free of, of being married to this man because if he's sh- falsely accusing her and bringing her and publicly shaming her, um, you know, in this manner, and yet she hasn't done anything wrong. You know, there's a big risk for the man to do this to to bring her. So you better better know. You know, be pretty sure. But the idea here is that he doesn't have any proof, but he's jealous, right? So you know, he has this I, I, idea. I'll
1: tell you, Ryan. I mean, my wife could be fooling me right now, but I'll tell you what: I trust her. Oh yeah,
0: mine too. Absolutely.
1: I just trust her. I don't have vain imaginations because what does the Bible say? If you have vain imaginations, yeah you have to do what cast them down that's right take captive every thought to the obedience of christ because the enemy's trying to get into our heads but anyway uh what an incredible uh storyline there so uh, i'm going to turn it over to uh to ryan in numbers chapter 6 he's going to read verses 1 through 8 and he's going to be sharing about the Nazarite vow and uh and we're going to find out just how relevant this is matter of fact the Nazarite vow is still good today everyone you could actually do a nazirite vow right now if you wanted to i've heard of this i've seen it yeah so go ahead and, and read those verses, Ryan. Uh, chapter six, verses one through eight, the Nazarite vow.
0: No, it's interesting that it's called the Nazarite vow. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly from the Hebrew standpoint, but the Nazarite piece there makes you kind of think of Nazareth, right? Interesting. And it makes you, it just makes you think, huh? So uh, it says here in chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter six, verse one. Uh, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels, even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled, in which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair uh, of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. So... um. There is a, a separation vow that a, someone can make that they call the Nazarite vow. Um, and someone could be a man or a woman and make this vow. And um, what they would do is there's, there's really three major uh, pieces to the vow that they're vowing. They're going to uh, have no grapes and no derivative of grapes or of the grapevine. So that means uh, no seeds, no raisins, no grapes, no wine, um, and also really no alcohol or vinegar of any kind. Um, so no, none of the fermented drinks. And then they're not going to cut their hair, right? So no razor to come upon their head. Could um, you have regular grape juice or no? No. You can't even have grape nothing juice. Nothing that comes from the grape nothing vine. Nothing from the grape, not nothing, even Welch's. Nothing from the grape vine at all. So wow. you couldn't even have the leaves, That's the good, husk, Ryan. anything.
1: Thank you for sharing that.
0: You're welcome. And then uh, so, so no razor on the head, and then also no contact with a dead body. And so, um, you know, here in verse 12, it says he shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. So this is a, a complete separation. And so normally it's acceptable for someone to, um, you know, make themselves unclean for the dead in order to bury, you know, a close family member and all of that. Right. But in this case, uh, the, the Nazarite vow would prohibit them from doing those Tasks now, if the person became defiled by coming into contact with a dead body while in the midst of fulfilling the Nazarite vow, then they had to start over, so they'd have to cut their hair again and all that, right? Oh, we're getting out the dates. Um, shh, don't tell anybody, okay? All right, all right, all right, now, shh, don't tell anybody, y'all. Keep it coming. So, uh, so in order to begin the Nazarite vow, there's like a ceremony, right? With any rite of passage or any vow that you make, there's a, a ceremony that they do. Um, And so they would have the following offerings in order to begin the Nazarite vow. And so it says uh, a he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, a you lamb of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, one Ram without blemish for a peace offering and a basket of unleavened bread cakes, of fine flour mingled with oil and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil and their meat offering and their drink offerings. Um, and so th- this is all pretty cool, right? You have this ceremony that you begin, you bring your offerings to the Lord um, in order to begin the Nazarite vow. So and this that, is
1: like a, this, this vow is for a law of separation, right? To you were following this Nazarite vow because you were separating yourself unto the Lord and following these particular instructions. Right. It's a consecration separation. That is awesome. Yep.
0: And so uh, the hair from the person that fulfilled the Nazarite vow was put in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So even as they begin it, right, they cut their hair, and then they take it and they cast it into the fire underneath the offering, right? So they're even offering their hair as an offering to the Lord. So very interesting. Now, there's a couple of examples of people that took a Nazarite vow. Uh, I would say the most famous example of someone with a Nazarite vow
1: would be Samson, right? So when he was a judge. That's good. Yeah, as he, a child, his, his mother put that on him.
0: Right, and so he um, he had the Nazarite vow, and he drew his strength from the Nazarite vow. And you know, obviously, the big story about him is that you know, first he comes in contact with with uh, with wine. Somebody tricks him, right? Then he comes in contact with the dead bodies in order to save his wife, um, or to attempt to save his wife, and then uh, finally, and he was the last judge, right? Finally, uh, he is he is um, tricked. Uh, by Delilah to cut his hair, right, uh, in order for him to be conquered by the Philistines. And so that's the most famous example. But um, there is another example in amongst uh, the Hebrew root circles. Uh, this is a famous one. So I'm going to read some verses to you. This is Paul in Acts chapter 21. We're going to read verses 17 through 26. And the the title in my Bible says, Paul conforms to Jewish customs. I find it very interesting because obviously this is a commandment straight out of the book of Numbers from uh, God uh, explaining to Moses and to Aaron uh, what the Nazarite vow would take. So this sounds like a very godly biblical Torah, you know, process. And yet here it's saying that Paul is conforming to Jewish customs, making it sound like this is some silly thing, right? Which I don't, I don't like that. That's right in my Bible though. Just a little, little piece there. So Here it goes. So uh, chapter 21, verse 17, it says, And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. What is it, therefore, the multitude must needs come together? For they will hear that thou art come. So, and I'm going to just take a quick, quick kind of note break here. (coughs) James is mentioning that, you know, hey, there's some scuttlebutt around the, you know, the circles here in Jerusalem of the Jewish believers in Yeshua that you're teaching people not to follow the commandments of God, that you're telling them not to keep the Torah. And obviously this is not true. So he says this in verse 23 and beyond, he says, do therefore this, that we say to thee, we have four men, which have a vow on them, them take and purify thyself with them, And be it charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that those things whereof they are informed concerning thee are nothing but that thou thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles, which believe we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood and from strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And so right here, it's very clear that Paul is taking the Nazarite vow with these four other men, and if you're taking it in order... In order what? In order to show that he's not teaching anybody not to keep the Torah, right? And so it's very interesting. And we can go in Acts 15 and talk about how, you know, they, they keep the you know, the Gentiles themselves, keep those four commandments so they can start going to synagogue and learning the rest of it, right? Um, but up until that point, you got to get them to synagogue so they can learn it. And so the fight is to get the, the Gentiles into the synagogue, period, end of story, right? So, um, but here it is, right? A, a very famous... Um, you know, example, Paul taking a Nazarite vow. We know it's a Nazarite vow because they have the vow upon them and they're shaving their heads and they're going to the temple to make the the proper offerings, which we just read right out of the book of Numbers how to do that. And so for those that speak against Paul saying that he didn't keep the Torah and that he taught other people not to, I mean, you're kind of smacking him in the face here because he did a whole Nazarite vow in order to prevent you from thinking that.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting what they attribute to the... Uh even in the date Antited Bible, and his commentary, his paradigm, his, his perspective was that, you know, Paul did all these things because he was Jewish, but we as Christians don't have to adhere to it. And that's the big mistake because Paul was sent to the Gentiles yeah, to teach them the things of God, you know. And so uh, we, can, we, can, we can discover this and see this in a new light, uh, a way of separating, separating ourselves, you know, just like the Shabbat is a day that is sanctified and set apart. That's what the that's what the Nazarite vow is about, that you take this particular vow to separate yourself unto the Lord. And those are the requirements. And by the way, I want to just share this with all of you, that uh, this is still in effect today. If you would like to do the Nazarite vow, there would be some debate over that. But I've had people approach me and say, you know, God's really put this on my heart. Can I do this Nazarite vow? And, this? and I kind of looked over the scriptures, and yeah, there's no temple or whatever. But yeah, the bottom line you can't is make that, the no, but the thing is, I think the principle's there. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell you what, these people were truly blessed in regards to that. So what about Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 through 27? Ryan, you want to go ahead and share that, the ironic blessings? Just share those scriptures?
0: Absolutely. Man, you know, this is a, a prayer that, um, you know, I speak over my children every Shabbat. I speak it over my son, Christian, pretty much nightly, um, you know, when when we're going down to, uh, to go to bed. And... This is a, a pretty cool prayer. Uh, you may have heard it before, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the verses to you. Um, and it says here in verse 23 through 27 of chapter 6, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them.
1: You know, maybe at the end of this podcast you can sing the ironic Blessing as a happy little to. bonus great, yeah. package there. And you know, uh, some of you are familiar with, uh, I guess, Carrie Job and her husband. I think they were the ones that... Did the blessing? Did or the ironic Blessing song, the blessing song. Yeah. And people were taking it and using it for Zoom and having all these vocals and harmonies and instruments and things. I think it's called... The blessing. Uh, the, the blessing. Yeah, it's, it's, blessing. it's quite a it's quite a long song, but it's based upon Numbers chapter six, verses twenty three through twenty seven. So this is just a little plug for some contemporary Christian music or whatever. But but Carrie Job and I do believe her husband. It's called the blessing, and, and you're going to really enjoy it. Uh, matter of fact, there's actually a YouTube video with uh, some churches in the I guess it's in Pittsburgh.
0: But wait, this is the Old Testament. I thought this was done away with.
1: Well. I this know is that the law. we're still going to give the blessing and we still have the children <laughs> of Israel. So let's jump right in here to Numbers chapter seven, verses one through nine. Here we go. We have the gifts of the 12 princes. This is in regards to leadership. Okay. And so what did they bring? The tribal leaders, each one of the tribes of Israel bring their offering. And how was the offering divided among the Levites? Well, the two wagons, four oxen, he gave to the sons of Gershon and four wagons, Eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari. Now, the Kohathites had to carry the furniture. Remember that you couldn't put the furniture or the ark on a cart. Now, later on, you're going to find out where that wasn't adhered to. Um, So, once again, two wagons, four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, and four wagons, eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari. And of course, the Gershonites had all this tapestry, all these fabrics. And, of course, we have, of course, uh, the sons of Merari, which had responsibility of all the hardware, the pillars and all of that. So they definitely needed to put that on a cart because that's a lot of a lot of hardware, a lot of wood, pillars and columns. Uh, Once again, why did not the sons of Kohath get anything? Number seven, nine, they had to bear upon their shoulders the furniture of the tabernacle. Uh, Here we have here, on the day the altar was anointed, did the tribal leaders want to give an offering for the altar's dedication? The answer is yes. Once again, the leaders. And uh, here's the following offering was given from each of the tribes for 12 consecutive days. On the 12 days of offerings, (laughs) my tribal leader gave to the Lord. You like that? <laughs> I just thought about the 12 days of Christmas. Here, each day, these, the, the tribe would come and bring this incredible, incredible offering uh, one silver charger, not a turtle dove, one silver bowl, fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of 10 shekels of gold full of incense, one young bullock, one ram one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. Now check this out. This is the following offering that each tribe gave. So here we go. Day one, Judah. Day two, Issachar. Day three, Zebulun day four reuben day five simeon day six gad day seven ephraim day eight manasseh day nine benjamin day 10 dan day 11 asher and day 12 naphtali so there are the 12 tribes and the 12 Days of offerings, not the 12 days of Christmas. Very interesting. You know, this number 12, it's so funny. We were having a leadership meeting last night, and I it was brought to my attention. I had bought a brand new shower curtain. And guess how many shower curtain rings were in the package, Ryan? <laughs> twelve. Twelve. Uh, uh, uh. So isn't that interesting? I thought, wow, one ring for each tribe. And it's just spaced out perfectly, you know? Not eight, not six, twelve. I mean, and so here's here's uh, you know here's a question: Why is giving and responsibilities higher for those in leadership, Ryan? To whom much is given,
0: much is required. So,
1: why is giving and responsibilities higher for those in leadership? What, what would you say to that? Um, I would if say you want to be a leader.
0: I would say the expectations to be a leader is because you're the example. Right. That's good. Yeah.
1: That's good. You are the example. You know. I mean, think about this. So, what a, what a great question you know and you'll see even among the priesthood you know they they had their responsibilities and all of that good stuff and so with the example of the 12 tribes how is the house of israel made up of jews and gentiles ryan what do you think well i'm glad you asked i just want to show show and share two references real quick and then you can share. Sure. Uh, first of all, in Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 36, we have the grafting in process, oh, yeah. right? And Yeshua is the root. So you're grafted in as a wild branch and there's natural branches. Now remember, the, the, the natural branches were broken off so the wild branches could be grafted in just like a natural branch, okay? But the root is Yeshua. That's the olive tree. An olive tree represents Israel. Now the other reference, Ryan, is Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven through twenty-two. Once we were far away, but Yeshua, Christ, Jesus, has brought us near. What does that make us? Part of the commonwealth of Israel?
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, Those are two great examples, and you take the both of those and you understand, you know, the blessings over the tribes in Genesis forty-eight the two sticks becoming one in, in Ezekiel thirty-seven, fifteen through the end of the chapter, I think it's through 28. And you, you take these examples, and then you take them, you know, the context of Paul's writings in the New Testament, you put it all together, and now you can see that you have Jews and non-Jews making up the commonwealth of Israel. And even here, right, I mean, you have um, the Jews being, you know, in context back then, right, the Judeans, the southern kingdom, you don't even have... A a Jew yet, technically, right? You could say Judah and the descendants of Judah in this case would be the uh, the Jews, quote unquote. But really, the Judeans, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, um, is where you get the Jews, the Jews, quote unquote, which which will include you know Judah, some of Simeon, some of Benjamin, so on and so forth. But anybody who is a, a citizen, so to speak, of now a national identity rather than just a bloodline, but more of a national identity. Of of the Jewish people from Judea, um, but then how do you get the Northern Kingdom? Right, is you have the Northern Kingdom of Israel, which gets scattered all over the world. The prime
1: would become a multitude of nations. A multitude of nations. And <laughs> what did what did Paul say when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in? Yeah, absolutely to their Hebrew roots when to the who they multitude are? of to nations to the plan.
0: That's right. That's exactly right. And you know there there's been it's been said right that when the Christians get Torah, the Jews will get Jesus and you know, unfortunately, I think that on both sides, we have a lot of um, correcting of, of our ideologies to do in order to be able to, to come together. Because, um, you know, you'll hear us talk about, you know, the Orthodox Jews and the way that people proselytize them. But, you know, why would we want to, quote unquote, convert a Jewish person to Christianity when Christianity needs to be converting themselves to biblical Judaism? Right. And so on and so forth. There's, the, there's a middle ground. That is the correct ground
1: it's mutual respect together. between the two parties ryan and, and i want to share something with you all that's very interesting here you know it says right here in romans eleven twenty eight, as concerning the gospel they are enemies for your sakes right but as touching the election they are beloved for the father's sakes right and what does See, it say even next? though they're blind next okay okay for okay. the gifts for the gifts and calling of god are without repentance boom for right. the gifts and calling of God are without so, repentance. So no one's getting a free pass. This isn't about teaching universal salvation. No, The Jews are blinded to Jesus being the Messiah, and we respect it. It's called mutual respect. Here's Judaism, the Jewish people. Here are Christians and Christianity. But we believe that there is a reconciliation happening between Jews and Christians. And I think it's incredible. And that's what we are doing. We're not compromising our faith, and we're not trying to convert each other. Yeah. We have a mutual Respect now. Now I don't know about you guys, but that is quite a verse. It is that in- they are enemies because of the gospel. Seek because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're blinded, and so that's just the way the Apostle Paul presents this. But what I'm saying is that, but they belong to the the Father. They are His beloved. So what a catch twenty two. Yeah. So I believe that through through a mutual respect. That that's not your intention to convert one another. No, of course not. But to practice your faith. But what can we do together to come alongside? Because we've had all these years of anti-Semitism. And I'm telling you, I have studied this word over and over. The Jewish people are God's chosen people. Promises were made to the Jewish people. Absolutely right. And God is going to keep those promises. Well, and if he
0: doesn't keep them... That's why they're back in the land. ...to the Jewish people, what hope do we have who are becoming part of the family of God, grafted into Israel? What hope do we have... Of God keeping the promises to us. You know, uh, at the end of the day, um, our job as, as believers in Messiah, uh, as Yeshua as Messiah, is to be ministers of reconciliation. And what I mean by that is Yeshua's name has been defiled amongst the Jewish people. When they hear Jesus, they think pogroms, they think the Holocaust, they think, you know, persecution from the Catholic Church. This is what they think. So anyone that they find out, hey, you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're Hebrew roots, if you're Catholic, if you're Protestant, they, don't, they put it all in the same group and they say Christian. And they associate that title, right, people who follow Jesus, right, the Roman toga-wearing, you know, idea that they have, correct or not, they, they bundle it all into that one group. And then they think that they want me to convert, i.e., lose my Jewish identity in order to convert. This is the travesty of what people who are, quote-unquote, trying to proselytize the Jewish people are are doing. They're coming in and they're trying to convert them to what we're considering, right, churchianity. When, in fact, we as Christians, we have to get our own house in order. We have to follow the true Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, right? And so when we come into Torah, we come into the understanding, we come into the true Messiah, Yeshua, a Jewish rabbi, right, then we are going to be able to first and foremost uh, repent of the what our forefathers have done and committed, the travesties they've done, and we are going to be able to, um, to save the name of Yeshua amongst the world, right? Because all of these these negative things have been done in the church even people who live in America are like ah the church that you know I hate the church this person did this to me that we represent Yeshua and until we start living the lifestyle worthy of representing Messiah we have no right to go out and start teaching other people to do as we are doing amen
1: and that's a good point Ryan and once again I want to share this with all of you every person has to make a, a, a you know a confession for Christ amen a personal decision for Christ. Whether you're a non-Jew or a Jew or you're an Orthodox Jew or you're a Pentecost, whatever you are or whatever you become, every one of us have to make that decision. I know in March of 92, I made a personal decision for Christ. I confessed with my mouth and I believed in my heart that he was Lord and they got raised him from the dead and I was saved. I was born again in March of 1992. So once again, it's a personal decision. So what what an exciting time that we're living in. So in closing here, Ryan, would you like to read Numbers chapter 7, verse 89 and then I just want to share a, a point quickly here as we discussed it at the leadership meeting
0: amen so it says here in uh, 789 789 that's kind of cool sorry <laughs> and when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony Ark of testimony from between the two cherubims and he spoke
1: unto him wow look at that Wow. That's because that's the throne. Because we're past. Remember, we Leviticus come, 18, Right? We bold, yeah, we boldly come to the throne of grace. Amen. You know, we boldly come to the throne of grace. And so, what happens is, um, the, the the ark represents that the, the Torah, His throne. You know, so when you look at the inner court, that's where all the actions happening. You know, so so in closing here, I want to reiterate a little download that the Father kind of gave me, and I hope it will encourage you as well. That you know, you can ride a bicycle. You know, with with. With two tires, and one of them has air, and one of them don't. Yeah. But I think want we want to? the maximum, you know, we want the maximum from life that we can get. But I want to share with you three things needed to have a successful church and community as we even delve into the book of Numbers, as we've just completed Leviticus. So three things needed to have a successful church and community. Number one, you need a place. This is defined as a particular area or locality, okay? Okay. Uh, examples of this could be found in the tabernacle of Moses and Ryan <gasps> Beit Tahila. it's a place we have five acres we have a fellowship hall we have a new sanctuary we we have a storehouse we, we call it the Quonset hut we, we have a, a Ted shed with a ramp and electricity to have a light in there as well so we are really we have an excellent place here but this is another thing that you need that's number one number two you need personnel yeah what is how is that defined Persons. Examples can be found in Moses and the Levites. Or what about Beit Tehillah leadership? We had our leadership meeting last night, over 20 people, praise God. And here here are the personnel. Remember now, God gave instructions to Moses to build this tabernacle. Okay, no different than today and what God wants to build and give you a place to meet, but you have to have the right personnel. And so you have the right personnel and you all come together. The Levites were trained and taught To be that personnel and to distribute them among the people. So there you have it. But last but not least, Ryan, here's the beauty of it. It's a process. You've Mm -hmm. got the place. You've got personnel. We talked about this last night. Now we have a process. This is the course of being done. So this is what it's about. It's a continuing development involving many changes even a progressive revelation. So a continuing development involving many changes. What are some examples that we can give of this process? Uh, well, we have the Torah. The Torah is a process. This is what you do. You know? and, and of course, the Torah is conditional. If you do these things, choose life, choose blessing, right? Not death and cursing. So, so once again, the process is what's needed. So you have a place, personnel, and then the process. And of course, here at Beit Tehila. We are moving towards this membership and putting in the process and protocol and everything with our leadership. So we are so excited uh, as we go into Shavuot and the summer months. Uh, we are just so excited to to jump into this process and don't hate the process. You know the process is here, the process is coming. Don't hate the process. So Ryan, what are your last thoughts before you sing the ironic blessing? Oh, that's right. We're gonna sing. You the know it by like, heart. I do. Man, that's awesome!
0: I do, but I'm going to what a
1: gift! I'm going to look at it in order to make sure that I don't mess it up. I man. really appreciate that. <laughs> I was going to try to find you a paper or something, but I don't have it. Got it right there. I got it in Hebrew. So, what are your yeah. last thoughts on this on this tour portion, Ryan?
0: You know, um, the the Book of Numbers starts out so well, you know, and uh, I, I love just the principles of God. I love all the things we're going through here. I love that God puts His name upon us. I love our ability to to separate ourselves unto the Lord and to make a vow, um, and then for the leadership to bring offerings uh, of their own. So I just I just praise God that um, that we have this structure and we have this example because the book of Numbers really, as a as a general rule, is an example to us of what to do and what not to do. It shows some some. Um, some uh, some victories and some some defeats or some losses. You know what I mean. Some examples. Some Very peace good. and some chaos there. So, all right. So, um, as we found in uh, the oh, do you want to count the Omer first or do you want to? Let's count the Omer. Okay, first. Okay, let's count. let count the Omer. Today is day forty-five, just so everybody knows. Um, let's say the blessing together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kiteinu Bimitzvatav. Vitsivanu al ha Omer.
1: Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, whose commandments add holiness to our lives and gives us the command of to count the Omer. Today, Today is 45 days, which, which is six weeks and three days of, days of the, the counting of the, of the Omer. Omer. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, uh. Once again, we were commanded to count the Omer, and that didn't hurt one bit. Yeah, not at all. I felt wow, good, that's actually. that's awesome. I feel you know, that's good. a praise report, too, Ryan. You know, they finished up uh, Lithia Pinecrest during the counting of the Omer. Ooh.
0: Come on, After somebody. After a
1: couple of years and $16 million, it is done, baby. Praise God. That is awesome. Israel became a nation during the counting of the Omer, and the city of Jerusalem was fully reunited during the counting of the Omer. So what a testimony.
0: Yeah, what a testimony. Um, and so just like what we found um, in the book of Numbers, uh, what is it? Chapter, sorry, chapter 6, verses 23 through 27. In there you have the Hebrew blessing. And so I'm just going to pray the blessing over you guys. Um, today, because you know what, we all need uh, to be blessed uh, by the Lord. And so, Eva Rechad Adonai Be'ishmerecha Merecha Yair Adonai Panavelecha. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Man, and, and in this way, the Lord will put his name upon you and you will be blessed. Praise back from God. All right. So, um, we want to hear from you. So, email me, ryan at topraise.net, ryan at topraise.net. Um, some exciting stuff. I have started to get our social media and website stuff rolling a little bit. So, I have a uh, Facebook page called christians with torah you can just go there there's not much on it right now i'm working on it but you can go there and you can like the page and just help us get started get rolling it gives us you know as you guys like the page and stuff it gives us some extra benefits and stuff like that on facebook um so i'm going to be working on that so be looking forward to that i'm also going to be working on uh possibly uh getting all of our podcasts up on some other places i got it up on spotify now uh i've got the tour uh, um i've got it up on uh, I've, we've requested a couple other platforms uh i think the other one was pandora we've re- uh, posted it up on pandora so you should be able to access uh the podcast from some a few other places and then you know other random ones have just kind of pulled it because we have so many episodes out there they've taken our rss feed and just added it to their own podcast platform which is kind of cool And so as we grow and as we continue to do this, we just ask for your prayers and your blessings. We appreciate your donations. You can go to uh, twopraise.net and donate there. Um, We just love you guys. We thank you so much for everything, for your support, for your prayers, for being part of the community, and also for your emails, ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. So uh, bless you guys. Uh, We love you. We thank you. Have a great week.